Trinity Church, how you doing? Yeah, I'm so glad you're here today. We have some great stuff to dive into, and what a great start to our service today with worship and communion, and now we get to look at the Word. We have been in a study, a series called I Am, looking at these eight I Am statements in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible today, we're still in that same book, now chapter 15. John chapter 15. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth of what we call the Gospels. And if you want to find your way there to chapter 15, we'll dive in a second. In your worship folder, your program, your thing that you got when you walked in the door, like Mark said, we're trying to figure out terminology all the time. You have one of these. This is our notes for today. If you want to have those out and ready to go, we have a lot of, a lot of blanks to fill in. And if you also notice, if you're in a home group, embedded in that are also your notes for this week. I want to encourage you, if you're not in a group yet, most of our groups will take a break at the summer, at the school year when it ends. But there's still two months. Maybe you just even grab into a group, begin connecting, take that break, and come back in the fall already ready to go. I appreciate it. Mark mentioned a minute ago about some stuff that we're working on with some branding. And we have been doing this for literally months coming up to it. And I really wanted to share it with you today. Like Mark said, it's on our invite card. These turned out so great. Chris Petnack does our graphic arts and just did a wonderful job and a great tool for you. And you're inviting people to come maybe to Good Friday, but especially to Easter. But if you notice, I wanted you to see this so that you could um, see this uh, logo, this branding for Trinity Church. It's very connected today to what we're doing. You can see it a little better there than you could really small right here. Some of us are like, man, Todd, I'd love to see that if I could. That's a little bit more helpful so you can get a look at that. Um, but what we're excited about is uh, an idea that Number one, connects us to our community. I think Citrus does that well. Um, if you live in this area, you uh, understand what I mean. If you're a visitor from out of town, it might take a little bit of more uh, tutoring. But for the rest of us, we get it. But it's this organic idea that really uh, is summarized in these two words of rooted and reaching. Really demonstrated well through the concept of a tree that as its roots go down, the essentiality of being connected deeply um, held fast by the truth of God's word, but also reaching out into our relational worlds. And we'll get to unpack that a lot more, I promise. The reason I wanted to share it with you today is you're going to begin to see it everywhere. And so I wanted you at least to get some explanation from me, at least to see it and kind of visualize it a little bit. And then as you begin to see it popping up on our website and in different printed materials and things that we begin to do, you'll go, oh, I've seen that before. So we'll give you more clarity, I promise, as we get closer and we get to kind of lay out this kind of mission in front of us. But I'm very excited about our future and where we're going. And that sums it up. Now, we thought another reason to share it today is it's very connected to what we're talking about. We're talking about a very organic idea about Jesus representing himself as the vine and him calling us, his followers, the branches. And so in that same organic idea, we want to dive in today into this passage. These I am ideas have been consistently, I think, such a point of not only encouragement, but Jesus getting to tell us through his own words who he is. There's no better place to get that information than from the source. And what we saw, Bill and I were talking about this months ago when we were planning this series, it was amazing how what kind of percolated, what, what kind of boiled to the top was this idea that each of these I am statements not only clarify better who Jesus says he is, but also clarifies how he helps us. Every one of them has a direct connection to how we're benefited, how we're blessed because of who he is. 
A few weeks ago, he said he was the bread of life that brings us lasting nourishment. Then we looked at the idea of him being the light of the world who gives us sight. Then we saw how he is the door or the gate for the purpose of our protection and our provision. Last week, he said, I am the good shepherd for the sense of our care. And today, as we dive into this idea, when he says that he is the true vine, we're going to see that the reality is, is that he is essential for life. Every branch understands that. And what we're trying to do is not so much portray an image, another consumeristic idea of how much better your life is with Jesus. We're simply saying this, you have no life apart from Jesus. He's the source. And from him, all good things flow. And so today, as we talk and we dive into this idea, it's another example of not only Jesus stating who he is, but how incredibly beneficial who he is, is in our lives. Jesus is going to describe today <clears throat> this abiding, remaining type of relationship. The, the scene's going to be very different from the last few weeks that we've looked. And as Jesus is with his disciples, beginning to tell them that he is about to leave, he's going to give them some very important words about how they need to stay connected, remaining in him. He des- describes himself as the, bran- as the vine and they as the branches. And so this big now what idea we want to see throughout the very message today and remind ourselves as we go today is in your notes. Remain in Jesus and he'll produce fruit through you. Remain in Jesus. It's an axiom and he'll produce fruit through you. Number one in your notes today. Jesus categorized your life as either fruitful or unfruitful. Jesus categorized your life as either fruitful or unfruitful. He's going to make it very clear to us today, you fall into one of those two camps. There's really not a third category. Let me say what, explain what I mean. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Let's unpack a couple things. Here's the scenario. The last three weeks, if you've been with us, we were in John chapters 9 and 10. And that audience was a little bit of a, really not a little bit, a lot of a hostile one. Jesus had healed a man born blind. And then as a result, he starts talking about being the light of the world, being the door, the gate, being the good shepherd. And in that, the people hearing this most consistently are Pharisees. Jewish religious leaders of the day who were very much opposed to him, very far from faith, and said they were in opposition. Now, the the audience completely changes in John 15. This is Jesus' disciples. He has just what we call the upper room discourse, begins in John 13, goes basically through John 17. And in this sequence, as Jesus is there, they have just done what we did. They, They basically set the example of communion for us. And in this sequence of conversations, at the end of John 14, here are Jesus' words, Come now, let us leave. So the end of 14, they leave the room that they had been in. And as they begin walking, this is what scholars would tell us, where we understand this room to be, we know their destination is the Kidron Valley. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on this journey there, it is not just likely or probable, but definite that Jesus would have walked past the temple. With his disciples and and on the temple gates, he would have actually seen something that very much would have been a part of his purpose in this conversation. Because along the gate, in incredibly gold-laden architecture, were 
branches, vines that were coming down from the gate and on them some very large clusters of fruit. Josephus is a Jewish historian and what makes that powerful is that Josephus had no particular skin in the game, meaning he had nothing to try to um, benefit from by telling Christian history. And so he's very objective, and this is what Josephus wrote. The gate opening into the building was, as I say, completely overlaid with gold. This is the temple in Jesus' time. As was the whole wall around it, it had, moreover, above it, those golden vines from which depended great clusters as tall as a man. So huge vines with huge clusters of grapes coming off of that. And whether it was Jesus walking past the temple, noticing those vines with the clusters of fruit, or whether as they're walking, he's just walking by a vineyard, which had been also prevalent all throughout that area. Jesus, the master teacher, is going to once again use a real-life example to connect dots for his disciples. Now, this talk of vineyards and this talk of, of just the idea of grapes and vines and branches was not uncommon to the disciples. It was very much a real part of Middle Eastern culture in the first century. But not only in their culture, but also in their scriptures that they would have known. You see, Jesus is alluding to something that the Old Testament, the former covenant, had all throughout it. Psalm chapter 80, the whole psalm relates to describing Israel as a vine that had been transplanted from Egypt into the promised land. Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet talks about how this, uh, this owner of a vineyard establishes it, plants choice vines, puts a hedge around it to protect it, but the vineyard oh, year over year over year produces nothing. And as a result, the vine owner tears down the wall and lets it be ravaged. Also in Ezekiel chapter 15, the prophet talks about how vine wood, once it's been introduced to smoldering fire, it's good for nothing. It's weak and, it, and it, there's nothing to do with it. So Israel, the branch, had been wounded and now had become useless. All of these images are all throughout this former covenant and the disciples would have been aware of that when Jesus was talking. So now he's going to define himself as not just the vine, but the true vine. Here's a little help for us 2,000 years later. This is a picture of basically uh, videology. Did I say that right? Vitology? Okay, I'm not going to stop trying. I tried last service. It didn't come out any better. Dealing with vines, okay? This is a picture of how they work. Number one, Jesus is talking about there is a vine, and he says it is me. I am the vine. He talks about a gardener, one who comes and tends vines. He cares for them. And there's branches. And within the branches, there's two types that Jesus refers to in this passage. One is the type that is, is connected to him but bears no fruit. And the other type is the one that bears fruit. And as a result of it bearing fruit, out of season it gets pruned so that it would bear fruit even more so in the future. Those are kind of the four characters found in this metaphor. The vine, the gardener, the branch that bears no fruit, and the branch that bears much fruit. That's kind of the picture that we have for us. Now, the first century... Uh, the, the disciples in the first century would have understood this. They probably had even a small vineyard at each of their homes, and they understood this is how this all works. This is the way, it, it, out of season, we're going to prune branches so that they'll bear even more fruit. And even if we notice that branches are bearing no fruit, we cut them off. That would have been so basic 101. As when Jesus, though, begins defining who is who in the metaphor, that's when their radar goes up. And that's when they begin listening even more intently. Now, before we go any further, I want to help us understand this. If you don't get 
the basic purpose of what a vineyard exists for, everything's going to be lost today. Everything will be quite confusing. And I want to make sure that we get this from the beginning. From the, the lens, from the perspective of a gardener, the lens of the vine, the vineyard owner, what is the purpose of a vineyard? Produce grapes, right? Produce grapes. Now, if you would say, well, the, the, the purpose of a vineyard is to grow plants, we'd say, well, that's on the way there. That's for sure. You're not going to overnight have a vineyard and everything's good to go. Some of you just shot right up when I hit my hands. That was awesome. But, but, but just the fact that there's vines growing and branches emanating out of those, that's a really good sign, but that's not the goal. If you were to look upon a vineyard and all you saw was a garden of vines, branches, and little flowers, you would say, well, that's pretty, but that's not really what we're here for. Vineyards aren't gardens. Vineyards produce grapes. And if you don't get that image in this metaphor from the very beginning, everything else will be confusing. Because often, as we read the Bible, we read it through some kind of spiritualized filter and we forget this is pretty basic information. Like, it's simple in how it begins. Not necessarily easy, but simple. So the way that you would evaluate if a vineyard was healthy or not was based on what kind of fruit is produced and how much of it. That's how you evaluate a good vineyard. Now, as we see in other illustrations that Jesus gives, all of his other organic illustrations, there's a really important point. It's in your notes. There is an inherent productivity, an inherent vitality and health that is expected when it comes to living things. There is the sense that productivity is an inherent part of the story. For instance, a couple weeks ago, we've looked at the gate and the shepherd ideas. Shepherds had sheep, not for pets. Now, it might be today in our world, even in our local area, you might know someone who has a little lamb, puts a little collar, walks it around the, the neighborhood, okay? Calls it woolly or something like that. You know, who knows? But you might have one of those today, but in the first century, nobody had sheep for pets. Now, they had a, the shepherd had a deep, connected relationship to the sheep, that's for sure, but did not raise sheep for the fun of raising sheep. That was a shepherd's livelihood. Sheep were incredibly productive related to growing wool, related to producing milk, related to birthing young. All of that happened within the flock, and that's why a shepherd was employed. Jesus, in a parable he would tell, in the other Gospels, talked about the idea of a farmer who goes out into the field and begins throwing seed. And as he begins to throw seed, we realize on some soil nothing even ever begins and a couple other soils that we realize that a plant begins to break through the surface, that, that a plant begins to have growth. And then in the fourth soil, that not only does a plant grow, but it produces a crop. Let me just simply tell you this before you over-spiritualize that parable. From the farmer's perspective, the reason you throw seed into a field is not to produce plants, it's to produce a crop. That's always the mindset. So if we can get into these stories for what they are, the metaphors for what they are, then these things will make a lot more sense. Jesus is talking in this illustration about a vineyard that produces grapes, not just a garden of vines. And that will frame everything else we look at today. The goal is productivity, bearing fruit that is useful and nourishing. Back to the metaphor, look at what Jesus describes as an unproductive branch. He says it's a branch that bears no fruit. I want you to really listen to what I say right now. Notice that it doesn't say that the gardener cuts off branches that don't bear a lot of fruit. 
doesn't say that. Nor does it say he cuts off branches that bear less fruit than other branches. It doesn't say that either. It says the gardener cuts off branches that bear no fruit nor will ever. Those are the ones he cuts away. Remember in the context of where we're at. The context is going to help us a lot right here. We're in John 15. Remember we said the upper room discourse begins two chapters earlier in John 13. In John 13, Jesus has done this amazing thing of washing his disciples' feet. And he talks about cleanliness and this whole idea. As upon watching their feet, he says, And all of you are clean except for not every one of you. You are all clean except for not every one of you. And John gives this parenthetical idea. He knew that his betrayer was in the room. That's, his name was Judas. So that's what's going on in John 13. Jesus uses the word, the Greek word we translate in English is clean, but he says not every one of you are clean, but everyone but the one is. Now he's going to use that same word we just read it a minute ago in verse 3. He says, and by the way, by the time we hit John 15, Judas has already left. Judas leaves in chapter 13. So now it's just Jesus and the 11. One is missing. And to these, these 11, he says, you, plural, are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word clean is the very same word from John chapter 13. The very same word used twice. And here's the other interesting thing. It's actually the same word used in verse 2. When Jesus is talking about the, the branches that produce fruit, that in the off-season need to go back and be cleaned, need to be pruned, Three uses of the same Greek word. When it applies to people, it talks about being clean. When it applies to branches, it talks about being pruned. Same word. So Jesus is in essence saying this. You 11. You 11 who are here with me, you are clean. You are being pruned by the word that I'm giving you that has this life-giving pruning effect in your life to produce more fruit. But there was one among us who was not clean, who was not being pruned, who was not producing any fruit. That's going to be the distinguisher that we're going to see in this passage. It relates to this idea of what does it mean to be in him? What does it mean in this passage to be in Christ? Here's what I'm trying to say. Of the 12 disciples, including Jesus, they were all around him. Of the 12 disciples, including Jesus, they were all near him. Of the 12 disciples, including Judas, they were all, they knew of him. But for one of the 12, that's all he had. For the other 11, they were in him connected to, remaining in, abiding in. Why? Because his word, when it intercepted their lives, produced fruit. This is what I'm getting to today. If you're concerned when you're hearing these words, wait a second, Todd, are you talking about a passage today that means you can be in Christ and then later on not? Like you could lose your salvation? And I have so many reasons why I would tell you no. Across the Bible, I don't believe that's true. But even more so in this particular passage, remember what we said earlier. Vines that have not produced fruit and never will will be cut off and thrown away. Vines that are in and around Jesus but never in him. Vines that are near him, that know of him, but are never connected, abiding, remaining in him. That produce fruit. 
Those are like seeds that were thrown on two types of soil that began to grow plants, but never produced a crop. That's what we're talking about today. So if that's a question in your mind, a concern that you have, let me give you the short answer. Is this passage about losing your salvation and being pulled out of the the vine somewhere of Christ? I'd say absolutely not. But what it is about, it's about today not looking out the window, but looking in the mirror and asking yourself about your life. What fruit, what fruit is Jesus producing through me? And is my life, back to the other parable of the soils, is my life like the soils that seed fell on, but only plants grew, but never produced a crop? These two, this metaphor, that parable, go hand in hand to the same idea. Jesus' goal in and through your life is to produce a crop. Let me tell you more of what I mean. Number two in your notes today. Jesus said fruitfulness is based on being connected to him or not. Jesus said that fruitfulness is based on being connected to him or not. John chapter 15, verse 4. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. These organic pictures in the Bible are so powerful and so strong. And they reach literally the world. Everyone gets it to some degree. But I will tell you, there are times in our concrete jungle that we live in in Southern California, there are times that even bringing in some other examples of the same idea makes sense. This is how it went for me. So the summer after I graduated from high school, I uh, needed a summer job before I went to college. And someone, I've told you a little bit already, how incredibly unmechanical And horrible I am with all things, tools and materials. I usually make things worse. Well, apparently the man who hired me to work in a tire shop for that summer had not vetted me well. Okay? (laughs) And uh, my experiences there would prove that that idea of not being mechanically adept would also be true then as much as it is today. So, but this is what I use. This is an air impact wrench. And what we would do is we'd drive a car in and we'd set up the, this hydraulic lift and we'd lift it up so that it's right about here and we'd take off tires. And I got to tell you, if you would have just given me a wrench and said, hey, take off those lug nuts, uh, that would have never happened. Partly because the tire just keeps spinning, but the other part, I'd never have enough strength. And you go, Todd, I know. I look at you. You don't have a lot of strength. But I don't think many of you would, Okay. So this air impact wrench was awesome. And I, I got to have power tools. This is so great. And I get up there and I just be able to kind of literally in seconds be able to go through this thing. But you'll notice as I press it down, there's not a whole lot happening. Because you notice over here, my compressor and my hose are disconnected. And that's obviously true. I can have this great air impact wrench, this great hose connected to it. I can walk around and and shout from the the rooftops how great it is to have an air tool when it's not connected to the source won't help anything. I just look like a moron like I do right now. Okay, doesn't do any good. So instead, then we come over here and we go, well, how much better is it? How much true, how true is this concept that if I plug into the source, then good things happen? And then all of a sudden, we plug in and we kind of go, huh? 
was so good. <laughs> that car's up on the lift, and all of a sudden, I'm just popping these things off. They literally come off in seconds, as opposed to hours on my own trying to figure this out. Air impact wrenches are awesome. Thank you, Dave Hood, for letting me borrow yours. And Steve Springstead did a great job getting this all set up for today. But here's the point. Connected to the source, good things happen. Disconnected from the source, useless. We get it when it comes to this. This is a a really kind of obvious illustration for us. But when we think of vine and branches, sometimes it's not always so clear. We forget. By the way, I'm going to unplug the air. Interesting things could happen right now. Nothing blew up. That is awesome. So good. Every time I do that, Lord, please don't let me kill anybody, including myself. Here's in your notes. Check this out. This is what Jesus wants to be sure you understand. Fruitfulness is absolutely dependent upon remaining, upon abiding, upon staying connected to him. We get the idea that an air impact wrench has to be plugged into the source for it to work and be of any value. But in the same way, in our relationship with Jesus, we must remain in the vine as a branch if we are ever to be productive, if any fruit is ever going to be grown off the branches of our lives. We saw this earlier. You can be around Jesus. You can be near Jesus. You can know of Jesus. Check track with this, one of the 12, for three years, walked with him, saw the miracles, engaged in amazing things, both that he heard, saw, and invested in, and it was him who Jesus would say was never connected to the vine. Why? Because no fruit was ever apparent. You don't have to be the one who sells out Jesus to the Pharisees to know you're not connected to the vine. All you have to do is be the one that you'd recognize by looking in the mirror. There's no fruit that's being produced by my life. That's the litmus test. Let me help you with that. When you say, well, what what are we talking about? What is this fruit that we're speaking of today? Let me give you some biblical examples. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. This is what the fruit is produced like that Jesus is talking about. This is the word karpos in the New Testament, translated very often as fruit, also translated as evidenced. Something you can see with your eyes of something going on in the inside. It's a beautiful idea. Romans 1.13 describes fruit in terms of others responding to Jesus in salvation. Can I tell you, coming into today, for many of us, that's the only kind of fruit we understood. That the fruit of your life is when you lead other people to Jesus. And I want to say from the very beginning, it's obviously one of the types of fruit that the Bible talks about. But if you're here today and that's your understanding and you've never personally led anyone else to the Lord, then you might go, I have a totally unfruitful life. Well, hold on till we look at the rest. But can I also tell you something really exciting? Number one, no one ever leads someone to the Lord on their own. That's always a God and them work. You get to be a part of it. But number two, if that's your experience so far in your life and you go, Todd, I've really never had that privilege to to be very connected to someone coming to Christ, I want to tell you good things are ahead. Because that is the basis of this rooted reaching mission that we're going to talk about. And I get so excited to think about the lives in this room that are going to be transformed. I get so excited to think about the lives outside of this room that are going to be transformed. 
because of what God does through you. That's one type of fruit. Here's some others. Romans 6.22 describes fruit as growing in obedience and holiness. The fruit, the evidence of what Jesus is doing, the evidence of remaining and abiding in him is evidenced by a growth in your holiness and obedience. Another type of fruit, Romans 15, describes fruit in terms of giving and generosity. You are becoming a more generous giving person. That's the fruit, the evidence of being connected to the vine. Galatians 5.22, hopefully a passage you know well, describes the fruit, as it were, as the character of your life. I've often thought of this. What is hanging off the branches of my life? What is evident for people to see? We drive on freeways when I was a kid, and as we drive up, my mom, like on area stretches of the 99 or the 5, my mom could look into groves, never, I, no, no signs, and she'd ask me, Todd, what kind of tree is that? I'd say, absolutely no idea. She'd say, oh, it's a blah, blah, blah tree. And I go, how would you know that? She goes, I've just seen enough to know. Well, as we drive a little farther, and if let's say we drive around Redlands right now, and we have all this great citrus that is in great bloom and growing and hanging off branches, if you walk up to an orange tree and you ask me, Todd, what kind of tree is that? Pretty good idea, I'm going to tell you. I know what an orange looks like. I might not be able to tell by leaves, and might not be able to tell by the trunk, but I can always tell by the fruit. And if the character that hangs off the branches of your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then that's the evidence, that's the fruit of you abiding, connected, remaining in the vine. Colossians 1 describes fruit as your service to others. The way that you live a life, others focus, trying to meet needs, that evidences the fruit, the connection that you have to Jesus And finally, Hebrews 13 describes fruit as your praise to God coming from your lips. Many of you in our service today have already demonstrated that kind of fruit from our time together. This is the way the New Testament describes what a thriving, growing, abiding, remaining, staying connected to Jesus' relationship looks like. It evidences these things. And so your goal today is not to look out the window and go, man, I sure hope Harry's listening to this. It's not to become fruit inspectors for other people. That's not your job. But I'll tell you very clearly what is. Rather than looking out the window, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and ask the question, what fruit is hanging off the branches of my life? Are, are they these kinds of things? Because these things, according to the New Testament, this is not me making it up. This isn't me just coming up with my own list. This is what the Bible teaches are the fruit, is the fruit connected to your life as you're connected to Jesus. It's really that simple. The other thing is not only just this um, concept of fruit, let's define the word abide or remain. It's a Greek word that literally means to stay or to wait. So like to stay connected, to wait close close to this uh, vine. But it's not just the word I want you to see today. I want you to see the tense. You know, in the last few months of our time together, there's times I'm going to look at a verb and make something of it. This is one of those times. Because that word, when Jesus says in verse 4, remain in me, he's using an aorist imperative, which you're like, I have no idea what that means. Let me help. The word imperative, it's a direct command. It's a directive. Someone gives you an imperative verb. They're they're telling you to do something. 
But here's the other key part. It's not just an imperative. It's an aorist imperative. And this is what an aorist imperative implies. It calls for a specific, definitive, decisive choice. Do this now at once. When Jesus is talking to the 11, no longer Judas in the mix, talking to the 11 as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's telling them, choose now, choose today, choose in this moment to continue to be someone who's going to remain in me. Make a commitment, a decision to do this and continue to be about it. It's in contrast to a present imperative verb, different than an aorist imperative that commands a habitual action. This is about now. It's an idea of urgency. Another commentary, this moves away from the call to a long-term commitment of the present imperative, watch this, to the call for a specific definitive decision. The commentator goes on to say, John 15, 4, abide in me, is not primarily dealing with a future kind of lifestyle, but watch, but rather with a calling for a definite preference regarding fellowship with himself. Aorist imperative compels you to a choice, present imperative commits to a process. This is what Jesus' disciples, as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what they heard that night. Choose. Choose now that you're going to remain in me because some pretty crazy things are about to happen. In just a few days, I'm going to be put through some crazy kangaroo trial. And as a result of that, they're going to put me on a cross. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised on the... He's telling... He's told them this for literally months. But what he's saying is, your world is about to get blown up. Choose now before that ever happens. Choose now to abide, to remain, to stay connected to me. And the fruit of that decision will be born in days to come. That's what this passage is talking about. And I want to tell you real honestly, that's what Jesus says to you today. Choose to stay connected, dependent, firmly attached to me, Jesus says. And fruit, watch this, will appear from your life. Some of you have looked at this passage like I have. I had to admit last service, I've taught this passage completely wrong for years. This was a challenging week for me. As I'm in my study and I'm coming face to face with this verb tense in particular, And realizing this is a call to decision. I've taught it so many other ways. I don't think that's like the worst thing that ever happened, but it's not true to what Jesus is saying. And the problem is you've heard this passage like I've taught it before where it's all about this daily habitual reality of reconnecting to the vine. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He might say it in other places, but it's not here. Here what he's saying is choose and watch this. And when you choose, fruit will flow. Because you've interpreted this passage differently because you're a performer like I am. And you think about, what can I do to be better? What can I do? How can I try harder? And this passage is usually just one that brings condemnation. Because you know you're not doing enough. All that craziness. This passage is saying, remain, abide in me, and fruit will grow. It's literally that simple. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Choose to stay connected. And by the way, if you don't, if you choose to just be near me, if you choose just to be around me, if you choose just to know of me, you won't produce fruit. And you will ultimately be like the dead wood that's picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
Judas was a living example of that. And Jesus is warning his disciples, don't be anything like that. All this flows from the lifeblood, the connection, the source of the vine. I love it in uh, chapter five, uh, verse 5. Jesus talked about this mutuality between the vine and the branches. D.A. Carson said it well. He says, chapter 14 has already introduced the mutual indwelling of the believer in Jesus. 1420 said, you are in me, I am in you. But here the same notion is portrayed in the vine imagery. Jesus is the vine, his disciples are the branches. The branches derive their life from the vine, and the vine produces its fruit through the branches. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but on the one hand, we obviously know how deeply we need to be connected to the vine, but have you ever thought that a vine without branches could produce fruit? It can't. It's a necessary ingredient. Jesus wants to use your life to be a source of productivity, to be a source of bearing fruit, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But I just need you to know that today. I need you to know this is the point of this passage. Fruit will grow when you live a connected life. Jesus also, at the end of our passage we read, talks about prayer. And he talks about this idea that prayer is vital when you do two things. The prayer that my father is going to answer, the prayer he responds yes to, is number one, when you're remaining in Jesus, when you're abiding in him, and secondly, when Jesus' words are likewise abiding in you, a really good thing happens. You begin to change your heart, change your desires to meet his own, and you pray for the things that please the Father's heart. Finally, today in your notes, number three, Jesus used terms discipleship and fruitful interchangeably. Jesus used the terms discipleship and fruitful interchangeably. Chapter 15, verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Discipleship in our evangelical churches is such a hot topic related to its definition. What does it mean? Is it qualitative? Is it quantitative? Can you measure it in some way? Is it about your morality, about your missionality or both? How do we do it? Let me say this in your notes. I've said it many times already in my time at Trinity, candidating and early on. But let me say it very simply, the best way I know how to say it. Discipleship means following Jesus. It's quite simple in its understanding. Discipleship means following Jesus. The first century disciples understood that, and 2,000 years later, we should understand it as well. And it's simply what the disciple keeps asking himself, asking herself, what is the next step? What is the next area of my life that doesn't quite look like Jesus yet? That's what I want to focus on. That's where growth needs to happen. There's always a next And it's the idea of maybe I've been following Jesus from afar. It's walking closer and closer in step with him. That's the question that keeps coming up in the disciples' mind. And the reality is this. Your discipleship, if it's synonymous with fruitfulness, that means that your discipleship has an exterior demonstration. People can tell. People that you do life with, people in your relational world, they know. If you're someone who is following Jesus or not, let me put it this simply. In your notes, this is the way we said it. We said that um, people in your relational world, the people you do life with, know if you are a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus or not. They do. If, if you wanted to know if I was right in what I was saying, then you could stand up here. We've used Harry as an example today. Let's bring him back up. 
Harry would say, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Harry's going to stand on the stage. We're going to have people down here in the front row. And these people in the front row are people he does life with. His wife, his kids. The people he lives next door to. The people he works with. The people his kids play soccer with. Whoever is in his extended family. They're sitting in the front row. And the question is not, is Harry perfect? We all knew the answer to that before we even asked. His wife especially, okay? We already knew that answer. But here's what we do know. The question is, does Harry live a life that allows and produces the fruit of Jesus, that he looks like Jesus in the way he treats his spouse, the way he disciplines and enjoys his kids, the way he talks about other people, the way he treats the people in the front row. Can they see the fruit of Jesus in Harry's life? Because guess what? They are for certain the people who know the answer to that question or not. And that's the awesome thing. That is the power of relationship. The fact that you are being intentional in the people's lives that already know the answer to that question before you ever open your mouth. And this is what Jesus is saying. Remain, abide, stay connected to me, and I will produce fruit through your life. It's not a try harder passage today. It's a point of decision This is our now what? This is what we walk out here with today. Simply this statement. Remain in Jesus and he'll produce fruit through you. Let me pray. Father, we look at this passage today. It's both encouraging and convicting all at once. And we want to hear it through the same uh, ears, through the same sensory uh, moment that the disciples heard it 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is saying, he's saying it to us today, choose. Choose to be a, a branch that remains, abides, stay connected to me, and I will produce fruit through you. I'm going to prune. I'm going to prune your branch so that you can bear even more fruit, but know that my father's a good gardener. And know that his goal, my goal, is that you would produce much fruit. You might be here today and you would say, well, tie back to that other branch. That branch that's really not that productive, that actually never produced fruit. I honestly have to say, if, if Jesus is saying that we're one of those two types, either fruitful or unfruitful, I'm just honest with myself, I'm in that unfruitful category. The good news is you can do something about that reality today. By simply coming clean and beginning with, AI I admit... I admit I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I admit I might have been even around Jesus for a long time, but I know I'm not in him because when I look in the mirror, there's no fruit hanging off of my life. I believe. I believe Jesus is the true vine. I want to be connected to him. I want to be a branch that flows out of him, producing more and more fruit. And see, I choose. I choose today to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow. I want to keep asking that question. What is the next area of my life that doesn't look like you yet? I encourage you today, make that choice before you even get out of this room. Talk to Jesus. Ask him to be that savior, that vine that you want to be connected to. Father, we love you and we pray in Jesus' great name today. Amen.